Welcome to Getting to Nimble. I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician. And I'm Bill Smoots, a pastor. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we explore how to survive and thrive in the 21st century. Today, we are talking with Christine V. Hydes about planning and ways to approach planning for the fall, given that we don't really know what's going on. But first, a brief introduction. I'm Sarah, and I have been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum, mainline, evangelical, Catholic, and I also write. I'm currently working on a book for people in pastoral ministry. And, and I, Bill, have been a pastor in all kinds of churches, primarily Presbyterian Church USA, but lately uh, in United Church of Christ congregations, called, installed, interim, uh, rural, suburban, small town, uh, downtown. Um, if they pay, I go um, and um, enjoy that kind and enjoy serving different kinds of churches. I, uh, Christine, lead ministries of faith formation in the local church, as well as equipping faith formation leaders through my website. And I currently serve as the director of Christian education at one of the oldest non-denominational churches in the United States. Uh, but I, denominationally, I am a, a provisional deacon in the United Methodist Church. Yes. And Christine, you have a wonderful website full of great resources that I want to highlight here. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, um, but it's also at christinevhides.com, and you just have a whole wealth of resources there. So I want our listeners to know they can, different things that we'll be referencing today, today they can find on your website. Great, thanks. Yeah. So we are talking about planning. And we're recording this in July, just a few days before this podcast episode will go live. And so, of course, we, like everyone else, we don't know what September is going to look like. We don't know what October is going to look like. We certainly don't know what Christmas is going to look like, right? We don't know and what this week is going to look like. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm watching numbers going and I'm just like, oh, oh, St. Louis, put on your mask. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we do have to make some sort of plans. We have to think about where are we steering the ship in the midst of a storm that we don't see the, see the end of. And Christine, you have written a lot and thought a lot about our motivations here and thought a lot about curiosity. Yeah, I think that I started thinking about curiosity, uh, well, maybe from two different places that converged. So one was during the shelter at home time, I have been doing a lot of walking and listening to podcasts. Uh, it's sort of what is keeping me sane. And Brene Brown has been one of those uh, podcasts and people that I've been listening to a lot of. And she talks about curiosity as an emotion. And I think from what I understand, uh, curiosity is um, it, curiosity is an emotion, and also it's a place from which we can sort of begin to think about things from a non-judgmental place. We can just say, "Oh, I noticed that. I'm curious about that." We don't have to decide whether it's bad or good, or uh, whether it's threatening or uh, you know exciting. We can just note it as being curious. Being curious, like I want to learn more about that. And so that's been a place for me to start thinking about just being curious about what is happening in ministry, what is happening in church, and sort of what's happening in the lives of families that I'm in ministry with. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just really listening to the variety of experiences that people are having, 
what is challenging, uh, but then also what are they finding that has um, been kind of helpful and meaningful, perhaps more family time around the table in ways that they didn't have. But the, the lack of uh, personal connection and interaction is really challenging for families right now. We know that, and it will continue to be so for a while. And uh, what is, the big unknown is for fall is what online learning will look like. And so I'm right now very curious about how families are feeling about fall and uh, the potential of going back to school and then how that plays into uh, you know, ministry in church. Yeah, we, we had our first um, in sanctuary worship service yesterday morning and the congregation I serve is 900 on paper, probably about 700 now because they've been fighting. And um, what we had Good to, to put say together, that because you're an interim. Yes, yes. <laughs> what, what, what we had to put together was a service that was stripped of anything meaningful. And by that, I mean fellowship time in the narthex as you're coming in or coffee and a donut afterwards or passing the peace or, or any of those connective pieces. And what we found is that out of that large congregation, oh yeah, you had to sign up too. You had to uh, sign up online or call in. 44 people chose to sign up to be part of this worship experience. And, and I think it was both because um, we stripped all the fun out of it, but it was also because they're not ready to be back yet. They're, they're, they're concerned, they're nervous. And, and so to, to your point, Christine, I think we've really got to push ourselves to say, okay, then what does ministry look like when people are saying, no, we're not coming back? Um, I've, I've had people say, I'll see you when there's a vaccine um, uh, or keep the online presence because that's how I'm going to worship for a while. My 89-year-old dad says it's a lot easier to click a button and fast forward through the stuff I don't want to listen to than uh, to, to get up and get dressed and go to church. So Bill, was, he, was he talking about your sermon? Is, is that what you're not, talking about? He, I, he, he could have been probably, but, but luckily he goes to another church. So this, this wasn't directly about me. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it, yes, we are hearing that kind of same thing about worship. What's tricky about ministry with children and families is that um, children, especially young children, are so wired to be hands-on and have experiential learning. And they just spent their entire spring doing online learning, which God bless the teachers, they did their very best in a crisis situation. They made a quick pivot. Uh, but we know that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't ideal. And had they had more time to plan, it would have looked different. But but our children and families are, at least people I'm talking to, are pretty wary of technology and the ability to create connection and community and a worshipful experience yes. online. And that's hard. And uh, so one of those things that I'm curious about is, you know, what what can we do to make online spaces as experiential and as community-centered as we can, so that uh, it will never be the same as in-person worship. But in-person worship isn't going to look the same for a long time to come. Mm -hmm. We've been thinking a lot about whenever we are in person, what can we do for families, given that we aren't going to have childcare, we aren't going to have Sunday school, we aren't going to have all the things that we would normally have for families, just aren't even when we are back in person, don't seem that likely to be possible. So what I'm hearing here, and I think that we should head towards, is thinking about 
okay, so we're going to eventually talk about like, here's how we're planning, you know, with the capital P planning, but there's so much, uh, there's so much work that we do beforehand or thinking that we do uh, prayerful consideration that we have ahead of time. That's really rooted in our values. It's rooted in the purposes that we see for the ministries that we lead. And for the three of us, I think that looks pretty different. We're each of us leading of really different parts of, a, of congregations. And so we have different, different accountability structures, different um, means by which we can, you know, decide whether to implement something or not. And I'm curious, I'm curious, how are we looking at our values, the vision we have for the church? Maybe it's our, our personal take on things in COVID-19 era. Maybe it's specifically written out stuff from the church. How are we, how are we seeing seeing as we as we navigate this very strange time how are we seeing our values our, our collective church values um in our in our planning process in the beginning stages of our planning process yeah i so i'm fortunate i began at the church i served two years ago and that church was already undergoing sort of a strategic planning process for children and family ministry and my hire was part of that strategic plan and so we've been able to, ha- you know, kind of use that strategic plan as our guide. So the first thing that uh, when we shut down for COVID-19, the first thing that we did was review our strategic plan, which fortunately listed sort of our purpose, our mission, and our values. Uh, so that was really important and allowed us at the beginning of COVID-19 to say, our, the most important thing that we want to do right now is to listen to families and to meet them where they are and to create as hands-on and experiential uh, experience as we can. Uh, So we know we can't do everything, but those are the things that we're going to focus on is relationships and, um, you know, experiences. And so that was, that was really helpful, but, you know, I've served churches where they don't have that kind of, you know, why statement or, you know, purpose statement uh, fleshed out. But what I found is that really there's a very common, um, you know, in church. So in my denomination, our mission statement is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. That's really what faith formation ministry at its heart is about is discipleship. And you might say that in different ways, but that's really what we're doing. So I found being grounded in our why really helps us to, uh, you know, move through a crisis, but also think about the unknowns ahead. And, and, and I can say I'm jealous of that uh, be, because a lot of my service, particularly in recent years, leadership boards are interested in solving the, the crisis du jour, but, but not at understanding why they're trying to solve that or to what purposes they're trying to solve that. And um, as, I've, as I've looked around at other congregations that have done a nice job of devi- def- defining core values, vision, mission, you know, those, those important um, statements of who we are, they, they seem so much more strongly placed to pivot when they need to and, and to be clear on what is part of our ministry and what is not part of our ministry. Um, and, and so I, I wholeheartedly agree that, that the value of those kinds of statement documents and the thinking process that goes into them is, is huge. And, and this crisis time is showing how much those kinds of statements and, and pieces of thought are needed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I feel that I'm also in a place where I'm not necessarily unmoored, but I have a lot of autonomy to decide what 
what something looks like. So I'm not in a place, I, you know, I'm a minister of music and I'm not in a place where I am, you know, deciding, are we going to have congregational singing? Are we going to have X, Y, or Z? That's, that's not part of my, my job. Other people are making those decisions. Thankfully, they are excellent medical professionals. Great. That's all on them. But in terms of the, you know, here's what our music online or whatever looks like, that really comes down to me thinking about like, well, what, what are the values here? What are the motivations here? What's the purpose of this music? And it's been interesting for me to think about, think about things that I had thought were very important and realize that in an online space, they, it, it looks very different. Um, in the past, I was, you know, oh, we have so many hymns. I wonder if we can get another hymn into the service because this is so much. And now I'm like, okay, how short can I make the music time? Because I realize <laughs> we're online and we don't have really long attention spans. And um, people are telling me those choruses are just so great, Sarah. I love to take the chorus with me. Um, whereas in the past, I'd like, okay, all five stanzas of Oh God, Our Help and Ages Past, or, you know, what, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm having to really come back to how, how I personally interpret um, the values and the purposes of the ministry program that I'm leading because at the end of the day, it really kind of comes down to like, well, I'm deciding on that, which on one hand, great, because I can implement things really quickly. I can pivot. I can make all these changes. On the other hand, um, like I don't have as much of a connective structure to, um, to be in conversation with, it seems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the challenges of COVID-19 is that our communication channels are uh, disrupted, I think. So that is a big, yeah, that's a really hard challenge. Mm -hmm. I think even when we have these intentional places for conversation, you know, oh, we have our staff meetings via Zoom or whatever. um, It's not the same as, you know, me going and bothering people in the office and being like, hey, what do you think of this idea? Okay, great. I'm going to leave now. Hey, what do you think? You know, just like bouncing ideas off of people. Um, and I, I, I really miss that. I miss that too. Uh, I, that in-person interaction, just, you know, what happens around the coffee maker is, uh, you know, is really valuable time to talk about ministry and fresh ideas. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's, it's just such a tricky, some people have called it a liminal space. I can go with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious yep. about what to name it. It's a liminal space. Liminal is a good word for this. <laughs> Bill, I wanted to go back to something you said. I wonder about what are the challenges that, uh, or challenges or obstacles that we have when we think about having congregations name their purpose or their values. One challenge that I see is that we are sort of hardwired to tackle technical challenges. Those are our comfort zones, right? Like give me the expert opinion and then I will just go do that thing and I will have the answer. And uh, is it Ron Heifetz wrote Adaptive Leadership and really talks about the difference between adaptive challenges and technical challenges. And we are in, in the middle of the biggest adaptive challenge that I, I can remember uh, in terms of COVID-19. Like just everything is disrupted. Communication channels, the way we do ministry, our ability to gather, all of that. And uh, that's not our comfort zone. And so it's a real challenge to, uh, to tackle those, like the big shifts that have to happen when everything has been disrupted and to center ourselves and our values. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think for, from my perspective, what I would add to that is I really see the, the challenge, at least in part as a spiritual challenge 
uh, because in, in the church we're invited to, to listen to and be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's just too touchy-feely amorphous for a lot of church leaders. And, and they're not, um, not willing, that's the wrong word, not, maybe not capable of, of sitting and, and listening and saying, where is the Spirit guiding us? And, 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 and I think that's kind of the deeper base foundation that that is required if we're really going to get to purposes and priorities and values is where where is the spirit guiding us where are we grounded uh, as disciples of Jesus and as people of faith and, and as as we understand that groundedness then I think those other those those purposes and priorities begin to reveal themselves to us and that's harder work it, it's longer work. It, it, it's, um, it's not so tangible work. And, and that, I think, both scares most of us. And because it's going to take time, and, and we're, we're trying to make all these decisions on the fly, it, it's more difficult to say, sure, I'll give time to that. I am working with a couple of colleagues on, because that issue of time is real. I've been working on a, a couple, with a couple of colleagues on creating resources for faith formation leaders that are in more bite-sized chunks. Mm -hmm. And our first one we're releasing this week, uh, which is on starting with why. And so we've got a website. It's, it's just starting, but it's faithformationplaylists.weebly.com. And what we hope to do is to provide these bite-sized chunks. We actually created a template where you can get your rough draft of your why statement done and ground it uh, theologically, probably in under an hour, uh, and then Ooh. be ready to maybe share that with a team. Uh, it's the first messy draft, right? It's so, and, and that's okay, I think, because we just... Ideally, maybe you have a task force and you spend time and you wordsmith and you make this beautiful vision statement and you can uh, put it in that cool etched glass in your foyer. Uh, that <laughs> this, this is a different time. Right. I think just get it down on paper so that you have something to ground yourself as, as because as you plan, there's just you know, all kinds of nitty gritty and big picture decisions that were, they're just swirling around and I think are going to continue to swirl around. Christine, this is, a, this is um, so inspiring for me right now. We're going to get into like, here's how we're granular planning in a minute. And I'm having to do a lot of granular planning more than I think um, would necessarily be advisable um, for most people. And I realized that, okay, I have all these plans that other people are potentially going to be implementing, but I don't have that. Like, I, I know in my heart, here's what the why is, but I haven't articulated that to other people. And I need to, I need to get that down on paper so I can share that with, with the folks who are, are going to be taking over for me while I'm on maternity leave. And so they know that it isn't just this disconnected, oh, here's what the hymns are today. Like, there's, there's, that, there's that why. Um, that this is hopefully all coming from. One of the templates I created, uh, because we do need to share our why, one of the templates that I created is in, is in the shape of a paper airplane. So when you do all this kind of sketchy work, and then when you fold it up, all you're left with is your kind of first draft statement. And, uh, and then you can send it. Uh, so I'm all about the spirit of curiosity and play these days, evidently. <laughs> because awesome. we do, we need to send it on and share it with other people. It can't just live on paper and not be... Um, 
you know, living in our ministries and in our work with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we want to think now about, we, okay, we've been talking about curiosity as a motivation and then thinking about our particular vision and purposes where we are in the specific ministries that we're working with. Do we want to talk a little bit about how we are, the three of us are doing this more granular planning, knowing that much as things are going to change, we still have to have some plans in place. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to start? I, I can jump off because I feel like I'm in the I'm in the kind of oddball category. I feel like if if I were not going to be on maternity leave in a few weeks, I would really want to plan every few weeks out and really um, do something that's very uncomfortable for me because I like to plan like a year out and here's my five year plan and all those kinds of things. Um, but I feel like that that is where I would want it to be. But because I'm going to be away. Um, or not necessarily away, I'll still be where I am, but I'm going to be sleep deprived and I won't have a very good executive function, Um, all those kinds of things. Other folks are going to be implementing the stuff that I've planned. I do, in fact, have to plan some specific stuff. And oh my goodness, have I prepped a lot of online audio Um, and we'll continue to prep because I'm not quite finished. Who knew all this podcasting was going to be such a great skill set at um, audio editing. Uh, who knew? And what I have started with is using a flowchart because at my initial feeling a few weeks ago when I was like, I've got to plan something was kind of this panic of like, there are so many options. How am I going to narrow it down to, I, I can't plan for every single option ever. And then I realized, well, wait a second, you know, think flowchart style. There are not actually that many options. There are a limited number of options for where I personally am working and I can plan three or four different options. I can actually do that. And now as we're getting closer into the fall, I'm like, okay, the options have even gotten smaller. And so I'm at the point where I can plan. Here's what we're doing if we're exclusively online. Here's what the choir is going to look like if it's only on Zoom. Here's what, here's what it's going to look like if we can do handbells in person. Here's, you know, I can actually plan that in specific ways, as in here's the music that's going into the binder for all the handbell people in the event that we can do this stuff in person. And here's the stuff that is the PDFs that are prepared for the choir, the anthems on paper that are prepared for the choir. Unlikely that that will happen, but I can actually implement those things because they've become, uh, the options have become smaller thinking through that kind of, well, if a happens, flowchart style, you know, if A happens, then B needs to be in place. If, if C happens, then I need to have X, Y, Z kinds of things ready for it um, and ready to hand off to someone else in August. And so that's how I've approached planning specifically through like the end of October, beginning of November. And then I, much as I would love, much as I would have in the past had everything else planned because God knows I don't need to be planning with a newborn, but I, I also feel like it's kind of pointless for me to do that much planning at this point. Even without a newborn, you would have had the list of music you wanted to sing on Christmas Eve to me last month. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and been concerned that it was late. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but it, it's, a, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't see the point in me getting granular on Christmas Eve at this point, because who knows what it's going to look like. Um, but but that's that's where I am, and I'm I'm kind of in a different different place. And Christine, I'm really curious. Like you have you have written quite a bit about how you're planning for children's ministry in the fall. Yes, 
And I hear you and I hear other music leaders. I think that music is maybe, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it, music to me is more of a technical challenge. There are just things that our medical professionals are saying, don't sing in person right now. And so that's a technical challenge. Like we can't sing in person. So what else can we, what else can we do? Children's ministry and family ministry, I think is a little bit more adaptive. Um, and I think that it, there's a lot of opportunity in it because some of the things, the shifts that we've needed to make for a long time in faith formation ministry, uh, COVID-19 is giving us that opportunity. So one of the shifts that I see needing to happen is moving more toward family-based ministry. If we cannot gather in person in the same numbers in the same way that we have before, then we need to rely on parents to be the primary faith formers of their children, parents and adult caregivers. And we've known that the, the research has shown it, you know, the national uh, study on youth religion and, you know, all the way back to John Westerhoff in the seventies, we've known that our school-based model is probably not the best one for growing disciples. So this is an adaptive challenge because the truth is we have not been honest with parents about that in many ministries in saying, okay, we know this is hard work and we're going to equip you, but ultimately uh, we're walking alongside you parents, you're leading the way. And so we have that big adaptive shift that uh, we, we may be able to successfully take on as we begin the fall. Uh, but from a more uh, you know, kind of nuts and bolts perspective, I imagined in April that what we needed to plan was a, pl uh, was a plan that looked like a teeter-totter, that the why of like our purpose and our mission, our values are the, you know, the triangle that holds the teeter-totter up or the fulcrum. And then we have gathered ministry in person on one side and online ministry in the other. And as the months ahead, you know, maybe we move forward and backward in phases and we're able to gather in person, but then we need to shelter in place again. We, we truly don't know, but that is a possibility. And maybe you would do that on a flowchart, but I think of it as a pivot. And what happened in March was a quick pivot where, you know, someone just jumped off the side of the teeter-totter and we had to do all online ministry in a quick hurry. And I think now we can create structures and systems that allow us to pivot a little bit more smoothly. Um, and to your point, Bill, I think that that ability to pivot and to hold things loosely and to engage in a spirit of play and curiosity is very much spirit led, right? That if we can allow the Holy Spirit to be present in that movement of shifts and pivots, uh, that's another thing I like about the teeter-totter metaphor is just that I, I see the Holy Spirit is the, the playful movement part. Mm. Thank you for that image. I just love it. And, and, and it makes so much sense. And I think I can sell that to people that I work with and serve with. Um, so thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the same kinds of things. Um, I'm supposed to sit down with, with the associate pastor and the, the educator on Wednesday and start thinking about Advent. Um, and Christmas, and and, um, and we're really behind the the gun on that, and and it's just been there's been this approach of okay we're crisis 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 planning, but we know everything will be normal in the fall, so we'll just go on like like you know like we do a normal fall, and we can't, and, and so I appreciate the conversation about needing to be prepared on multiple levels, but but the the why as the fulcrum upon which. Um, everything is built just 
Thank you. That's a great image and, and makes a lot of sense. And, and, and the other thing I'm finding myself thinking is, I don't know that there's much value in me trying to have this kind of conversation with my leadership board right now, not because it's unimportant, but because I just don't think they're there. Whereas, whereas in a staff where we're, where we're having to plan programmatically, whatever that means, um, that's where I need to start that conversation. And then I think maybe back into the leadership conversation of here's what staff's been doing. And I think this might be a useful um, model or image for you all to think about um, moving forward because there are there, there are different levels of decision making N not one better not one worse they're just different levels um, but but the staff has the more immediate how do what are we going to do in uh, on that first Sunday in September after Labor Day when we normally yeah, have we our, have a picnic yeah when we know well, I think we just I think we have ice cream I don't think we do the food where I am now but but yeah when we normally do something like that and everybody's together and we've already been answering questions about that with our coronavirus task force um, saying yeah we're not going to scoop ice cream out of a tub we're not going to have um, a table full of toppings that everybody's handling you know you you can you can go get a cup of something and people can have a little wooden spoon and they peel the top off themselves they 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 eat it and throw it all away oh and by the way hand it to them with a gloved hand you know that's that's the kind of transition and and who knows if we're even going to be able to do that much with the the way numbers are spiking um, of, of late. So yeah, don't order your ice cream yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like maybe the week before. Great sermon title. Uh, I love you know, some of this is making me think about, um, reverse engineering. And I have a lot of friends in academic spaces who still don't know what they're doing come August with their college students. And they have told me that they are planning they're planning for online, knowing that it's easier for them to re reverse engineer an in-person class from an online syllabus versus the other way around, which is much more difficult for them. And I've realized I'm doing that also with the stuff that I'm planning for the fall, where I have a more bare bones kind of thing for online, all of which could happen in person. And then I have some other stuff that could be added in person. And I feel like that's part of, for me, the flowchart or the teeter-totter, this kind of like, okay, where can things shift? Where can things move without, um, without creating a ton of new work? It's not that these things are separate from each other or um, like they, they aren't completely different. There's a lot of overlap. And, um, and so the work is not necessarily redundant. It's not that I've like created three times as much work for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we're doing this summer is really investing in some uh, technology tools, because I think you're right, it is easier to move from online to in person. We already know how to do in person ministry in church, we may have to change our, you know, room capacities and procedures, but but we know how to do that. And we, uh, we uh, most of us are not as skilled at doing online sort of, you know, discipleship formation classes. So you know, back to our earlier conversation in the beginning, what are we curious about? What are we noticing? Uh, I think there's, there's, uh, when you're being curious, and when you're noticing what's happening in your community to write down the list, you know, a list of things that you're noticing, and then begin to uh, sort of uh, 
pull out different themes that you might be noticing, right? So one of the things that we've noticed is that our parents are Zoomed out, our families are Zoomed out. So if we're going to do online ministry, we need to address that problem or we're not going to reach families in the fall. And so we need to dig deeper. Why are they Zoomed out? Well, because what we've heard is that in the spring, you know, their third grade teacher used Schoology and their second grade teacher used Google Classroom. And then they had to link it all together with, you know, 17 other apps and, and it was too much. And again, I, this is not a criticism of teachers. This was just, it was crisis and everybody just grabbed what they could and, uh, you know, did the best that they could. But in the fall, we have an opportunity to say, okay, as a church, we are going to have one online place where parents can go to access the Sunday school, the online links, the schedule. And then we have this opportunity to curate resources for them in a way that we didn't have before. So, you know, we send out a weekly newsletter and we include a lot of prayer resources. Well, let's take those top 10 prayer resources and put them in this online space so that parents can access them 24 seven. So we've really been spending a lot of time this summer on uh, creating an online space that is able to connect people, provide those static resources, but also provide online learning as we will need to do it. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and, and to push that a little bit, my, my dream for years has been to have, you know, like a, a video on those, those God questions that your four-year-olds ask. Maybe Nico was asking them at three, but, but so, so that, you know, parents can go to the, the website at two in the morning when they're not sure what the heck to do. And, and here's, here's a little video on baptism, or here's a little video on, on the love of God or, or something so, so that we are empowering them in their role as the primary educators, primary faith formators. Yeah, I, I love that. And the pic- the big picture here of like a place where people can find things rather than everything is all in different places and where is it and and where is that email and wait I can't find that email and right and, you know you can't even find the Zoom address half the time so yeah right own the 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 email with the attachment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah so yeah. lots of good stuff here anything that we want to add as we are wrapping things up. I think we need to plug Christine's websites again yes. with addresses. No, I, I, I'm, I'm yep. anxious to, to go uh, steal material. Uh, staff meetings not until Wednesday, so uh, <laughs> I, I've got some ideas now. You've, you've really got me uh, thinking about those things, and and um, and I, I'm always curious as well as what are other people doing. I mean, we're obviously not the only three thinking about this. So, so what other kinds of pivots have people been making and, and what kinds of helpful approaches have they been finding? Yeah, I think that, that this pandemic is really going to stretch us in that way. And especially as we look at fall, I mean, just this last week, the social media feeds are just filled with posts full of anxiety from parents and teachers and school administrators. And there is no better time than now to throw out whatever textbook curriculum you bought or set it, maybe don't throw it out, set it aside and take a look at, you know, what your parents are saying, what your kids are thinking and feeling and doing. And if you can walk with them through this time of intense anxiety and just be a presence, mm-hmm. uh, the, the second grader today in 20 years may not remember what Sunday school lesson you did in September, but they will remember that you showed up for them in a really hard time. 
And that I think is the heart of discipleship, right? Walking alongside people, praying with people, um, you know, showing them Christ's love in a really challenging situation. Christine, can you share with us where we can find you online and find your resources online? Sure. So my website is christinevhides.com, which is linked on Facebook as Bless Each One, which was the original name of the blog I started uh, in 2012. I can't believe it. It's 2020 already. Uh, And then the launch resource for faith formation leaders that I'm working on with a couple other colleagues can be found at faithformationplaylists.weebly.com. And I am just so grateful to be able to share those with you and be a part of this conversation. Thank you both so much. And if you are looking, if you as a listener are looking in the notes for this podcast, like on your podcast player, you can also just click on the show notes, sarah-bariza.com, and that will take you to the links for all of these so you can find Christine's resources. Thank you for joining us. This has been lovely to talk with you. I am so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much. I, I, it's, it's good to get to know you, and I, I hope there'll be more conversations in the future. That's it for this week's installment of Getting to Nimble. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. You can find show notes at Sarah, with an H, dash, Bereza, B-E-R-E-Z-A dot com. And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry friends and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, keep it nimble, but keep it legal.